Welcome to Speak Up and Stay Alive Radio with author, speaker, and your host, Pat Rulo, serving you a generous helping of everything you need to know to help you and your loved ones stay safe during any doctor or hospital visit. The program is not intended to replace medical advice from a licensed professional, but rather to encourage you to become a well-informed participant in your health and well-being. And now, your host, Pat Rulo. Hello and welcome. I'm Pat Rulo, the voice for patient safety, where each week we delve into little-known healthcare and hospital hazards, as well as other fringe topics that affect your health and well-being. I'm so happy you've taken the time to join me, and today I have lots to share with you. So, let's dig right in, shall we? Well, today I'm going to share some most likely little-known intel with you about what is called the Internet of Things, IOT for short. For those who lead a simple and easy life, in the broadest sense, the term Internet of Things encompasses everything connected to the Internet, but it's increasingly being used to define objects that talk to each other. Simply, the Internet of Things is made up of devices, from simple sensors to smartphones, smart meters, smart appliances, and wearables such as Fitbit, all connected together and communicating not only with each other and with you, but to whomever else who can access. By combining these connected devices with automated systems, it is possible to gather information, analyze it, and create an action to help someone with a particular task or learn from a process. They say the Internet of Thing offers us opportunity to be more efficient in how we do things, saving us time, money, and often emissions in the process. It allows companies, governments, and public authorities to rethink how they deliver services and produce goods. And there, my friends, is one of the answers. Gathering information from you that has never before been accessible making you think it's a grand convenience, while they analyze your every movement as a way to better market their products and services to you. And along with that comes an obvious host of problems. Hacking, for sure. Identification, surveillance, monitoring, location tracking, and targeting for recruitment or to gain access to networks or your user credentials. I don't know about you, but I'm just as smart as my refrigerator. I don't need a smart appliance webcam to check to see if I need to buy more milk on the way home. Here's an article called The Internet of Things is Sending Us Back to the Middle Ages by Joshua A.T. Fairfield. He's a professor of law at Washington and Lee University. And this was on theconversation.com. He says, Internet-enabled devices are so common and so vulnerable that hackers recently broke into a casino <laughs> through its fish tank. The tank had internet-connected sensors measuring its temperature and cleanliness. The hackers got into the fish tank's sensors and then to the computer used to control them and from there to other parts of the casino's network. 
the intruders were able to copy 10 gigabytes of data to somewhere in Finland. Now, by gazing into this fish tank, we can see the problem with Internet of Things devices. We don't really control them, and it's not always clear who does, though often software designers and advertisers are involved. In his recent book titled Owned, Property, Privacy, and the New Digital Serfdom, he discusses what it means that our environment is seeded with more sensors than ever before. Our fish tanks, smart televisions, internet-enabled home thermostats, Fitbits, and smartphones constantly gather information about us and our environment. That information is valuable not just for us, but for people who want to sell us things. They ensure that internet-enabled devices are programmed to be quite eager to share information. Take, for example, Roomba. You know that adorable little robotic vacuum cleaner that scoots about your house and they show the ad with the little kitty sitting on it? So cute. Well, dust isn't the only thing your Roomba is sucking up. Since 2015, the high-end models have created maps of its users' homes to more efficiently navigate through them while cleaning. Roomba's manufacturer, iRobot, may plan to share those maps of the layouts of people's private homes with its commercial partners. Now, Google and iRobot are joining forces to use data collected by smart vacuum cleaners like the Roomba i7 Plus to create maps of the inside of people's homes and then share that data with other smart devices. We all know Google is all about data, and there have long been concerns about how the data it collects is used and the associated privacy issues. As such, the company's latest collaboration with Roomba is likely to raise a few hackles. The partnership is described by iRobot as a collaboration with Google to integrate robotic and smart home technologies that will advance the next generation smart home. Don't you love mumbo words? I mean, what in the world does all that mean? Perhaps in practice is that devices other than your vacuum cleaner will not only know the layout of your house, but will know what you mean when you refer to specific rooms and devices will be better able to interact with each other. Now at the moment, it's not clear exactly what iRobot and Google are looking for, nor exactly what they intend to do. For now, things are being kept pretty broad. iRobot CEO says, iRobot is delivering products that help people keep a cleaner and smarter home. Robots with mapping and spatial awareness capabilities will play an important role in allowing other smart devices in the home to more seamlessly work together. We're looking forward to working with Google to explore new ways to enable a more thoughtful home. I need a thoughtful home, right? Google is similarly light on specifics, with their company's director of smart ecosystems saying, over the past year, we've been working hard to make it easier to control all devices and appliances in your home with the Google Assistant, with just your voice. We're excited to be exploring with iRobot how its unique spatial awareness technology can work with the assistant to offer customers a more intuitive and personalized experience in their homes. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, there will be obvious privacy concerns voiced about this, but Google issues assurances that, here we go, there is nothing to worry about. Well, like the Roomba, other smart devices can be programmed to share our private information with advertisers over back-end channels of which we are not even aware. 
get this, in a case even more intimate than the Roomba business plan, a smartphone controllable erotic massage device called WeVibe gathered information about how often, with what settings, and at what time of day it was used. The WeVibe app sent that data back to its manufacturer, who agreed to pay a multi-million dollar legal settlement when customers found out and objected to that invasion of privacy. <laughs> I love it. Those back channels are also a serious security weakness. The computer manufacturer Lenovo, for instance, used to sell its computers with a program called Superfish pre-installed. The program was intended to allow Lenovo, or companies that paid it, to secretly insert targeted advertisements into the results of users' web searches. The way it did so was downright dangerous. It hijacked web browsers' traffic without the user's knowledge, including web communications that users thought were securely encrypted, like your connection to banks and online stores for financial transactions. Now, the whole underlying problem to all of this is ownership. One key reason we don't control our devices is that the companies that make them seem to think and definitely act like they still own them, even after we've purchased them. You may buy a nice-looking box full of electronics that can function as a smartphone. The corporate argument goes, but you're buying a license only to use the software inside. The companies still own the software, and because they own it, they can control it. It's as if a car dealer sold a car, but claimed ownership of the motor. Now, this sort of arrangement is destroying the concept of basic property ownership. John Deere has already told farmers that they don't really own their tractors, but just license the software, so they cannot fix their own farm equipment or even take it to an independent repair shop. And let me digress for a moment talking about John Deere tractors. You may, as I say, you may own the tractor, but the software is another story. Now, farmers, they always have loved to tinker with their tractors and other equipment, but as that equipment becomes more technically advanced and more controlled by software, they are going to lose some of that right to tinker with their equipment or modify it. A couple of years ago, Wired Magazine created quite a stir with an article on the theme, It's John Deere's Tractor, Folks, You're Just Driving It, citing legal terminology in sales contracts aimed at preventing owners from altering the tractor's software. A modern John Deere tractor has both hardware, the diesel engine, rubber tires, transmission, and so on, and software, which is the programming for that tractor. The licensing agreement growers had to sign when they bought a tractor said that John Deere owns the software and licenses it to you for use with that tractor. Now, such agreements are not unusual. Every device that operates with software has a similar agreement. You license the software to use the device. Now, all of this was developed when DVD movies came out. U.S. copyright law said it was illegal to hack into a DVD to defeat the security protection measures in order to copy a movie. And that made sense. We shouldn't allow people to copy DVDs willy-nilly. But when copyright law was applied to a tractor, it became somewhat a different story. Some owners wanted to make modifications to their tractors. So there was a petition to the Library of Congress to allow owners to access the software on their tractors. The petitioners contended that companies like John Deere 
shouldn't be able to force farmers not to modify the software. Well, this went back and forth, but John Deere eventually lost that battle, and the Library of Congress said it would allow people to hack into Tractor's software to fix it or alter it. However, there is part two of this story. John Deere changed the licensing agreement, so when a farmer buys the machine, he agrees he won't hack into the software and alter it in any way. And John Deere isn't alone in this. Other companies have similar agreements. Car manufacturers, for example, don't want people hacking into a vehicle's software to defeat the emissions system or to make modifications that could be illegal or dangerous. So now, American farmers are hacking their tractors with Ukrainian software that was bought on the black market online. Elon Musk, the CEO of the company that makes the luxury Tesla electric vehicles, has said that the software in his cars is more valuable than the hardware. He says the car is basically a computer on wheels. It can drive itself, or you can summon it with your phone to come pick you up. I don't think you have to have a crystal ball to understand that companies like John Deere and others see that these machines are slowly going to be more software-driven product than a hardware-driven product. Who knew? Well, the farmers are objecting, but maybe some people are willing to let things slide when it comes to smartphones, which are often bought on a payment installment plan and traded in as soon as possible. How long will it be before we realize they're trying to apply the same rules to our smart homes, smart televisions in our living rooms and bedrooms, smart toilets, and internet-enabled cars? Well, it's a return to feudalism. The issue of who gets to control property has a long history. In the feudal system of medieval Europe, the king owned almost everything, and everyone else's property rights depended on their relationship with the king. Peasants lived on land, granted by the king to a local lord, and workers didn't always own the tools they used for farming or other trades like carpentry and blacksmithing. Over the centuries, Western economies and legal systems evolved into our modern commercial arrangement. People and private companies often buy and sell items themselves and own land, tools, and other objects outright. Apart from a few basic government rules like environmental protection and public health, ownership supposedly comes with no trailing strings attached. And I'm not sure I agree with that statement, but that's another conversation for another time. So this system means that a car company can't stop you from painting your car a shocking shade of pink or from getting the oil changed at whatever repair shop you choose. You can even try to modify the car yourself. The same is true for your television, your equipment, and your refrigerator. Yet, the expansion of the Internet of Things seems to be bringing us back to something like that old feudal model, where people didn't own the items they used every day. In this 21st century version, companies are using intellectual property law intended to protect ideas, to control physical objects consumers think they own. Take, for example, the Samsung Galaxy phone. Google controls the operating system and the Google apps that make an Android smartphone work well. Google licenses them to Samsung, which makes its own modification to the Android interface and then sub-licenses the right to use your phone to you, or at least that is the argument that Google and Samsung make. Now, Samsung cuts deals with lots of software providers which may want to take your data for their own use. But this model is flawed. 
We need the right to fix our own property. We need the right to kick invasive advertisers out of our devices. We need the ability to shut down the information back channels to advertisers, not merely because we don't love being spied on, but because those back doors are a security risk, as the story of the superfish and the hacked fish tank show. If we don't have the right to control our own property, we really don't own it. We are just digital peasants, using the things that we have bought and paid for at the whim of our digital lord. And the only way to take back our power is to realize that we're being used. And that is exactly why I'm talking about this today. Let me ask you this. How many times have you visited a website online that asks you to agree to its terms and conditions? Does anyone read them? I mean, all you want to do is quickly access whatever it is you're looking for. Check. I agree. Or how about when you install a new piece of software on your computer? Well, it's worth noting that a document you probably have never read codifies your lack of rights. It's called EULA, which stands for End User License Agreement. And I'm sure you've seen that all the time. Pretty much every piece of software you buy or download for free contains one of these, as do most digital devices. And when you don't have time and you don't mind being bored, read one of them and notice how many rights you give up when you click Accept. With their excessive length and their one-sided take-it-or-leave-it nature, complicated legalese and relentless insistence that what you buy is only licensed to you, not owned, well, this is the main culprit behind the decline of ownership. In fact, there is a book titled The End of Ownership, Personal Property in the Digital Age by Aaron Perzanowski and Jason Schultz. These authors repeatedly remind us that those who make the decision between what is owned and what is licensed is crucial, both on the individual and societal scale. When we allow companies to define when we can own our stuff through the EULA, through the End User License Agreement or Digital Rights Management, we shift crucially important decisions about how our society should work to private entities with little incentive to serve our interests. And when we don't know exactly what we give up when we buy digital goods, we are not making an informed choice. Further, when we opt for mere access over ownership, our choices have broader societal effects. The more we shift to licensing and subscription models, the more it may become harder for those who would rather own their own stuff to exercise that option. Stores will close, companies shift distribution models, and some works just disappear from the market. Well, even though things look grim right now, there is hope. These problems can quickly become public relation nightmares for the companies involved. Recent years have seen progress in reclaiming ownership from would-be digital barons. What is important is that we recognize and reject what these companies are trying to do to buy accordingly, to vigorously exercise our rights to use, repair, and modify our property, and support efforts to strengthen those rights. The idea of property is still powerful in our cultural imagination, and it won't die easily. That gives us a window of opportunity. I hope we will take it. Listen to Pat Rulo and Speak Up Radio. To learn more, go to speakupandstayalive.com. That's speakupandstayalive.com.
Hi there, I'm Gina Murphy-Darling, the host of Mrs. Green's World, and I would really love for you to become a part of that world. We talk about things like the faceless villain of climate change, our compromised food supply, and about how to become a conscious consumer. But it's not all bad news. We educate, we inspire, we engage. We always leave you with some small steps you can take to make a difference for this great planet of ours and help you live the healthy life you deserve. Please visit MrsGreensWorld.com to learn more and become a part of our world. Hi, I'm Jana Panaritis, host of the AgeWise podcast. We're all living longer, and at some point, we're all going to need care. Many of us are already being cared for by sons and daughters, spouses and partners. On the AgeWise podcast, members of every generation share their stories of caregiving and aging. I like about living alone that it's all mine and it's the first time in my life when I didn't have to consider children, husband or anything else. She wasn't scared and I was bawling. You know, I knew what this meant for her. There's no coming back from Huntington's. I also knew that it's a 50-50 chance that I had it. Tune in every Thursday for a brand new episode at speakuptalkradio.com. To learn more about the show, visit the AgeWise website. That's A-G-E-W-I-Z dot com. U.S. Marine Corps veteran Sherman Gillums Jr., thank you so much for all that you're doing to support military veterans and their caregivers. Thank okay. you. Are you in the market to purchase a home? Are you thinking of selling yours? Well, I personally worked with the McCaskey team. Give them a call, 440-773-5542, or visit their website, mccaskeyteam.com, mccaskeyteam.com. Get ready. Now, your host, Pat Rulo. Are you or someone you know getting married? Well, come meet me at the Chesterland Bridal Fair when on Saturday, March the 9th, 2019, Saturday, March 9th at Guido's Generation Event Center. It's also known as Guido's Pizza on the corner of Mayfield Road 322 and Chillicothe 306, right at the intersection of 322 and 306. At Guido's Pizzeria, it's a restaurant. It's also called Guido's Generation Center. The address is 12809, 12809 Chillicothe Road. That's in Chesterland. The zip code is 44026. And it will be from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. So from 11 to 3, Saturday, March 9th at Guido's in Chesterland. I will be showcasing our wedding essential line of functional favors, essential oils that are perfect gifts to give to those in the bridal party and to those who attend the wedding. I have rollerballs and sprays in oh so many delicious scents, and of course, they are 100% organic. So come and join us to explore the experts in the local area who will be offering services and products to make your wedding day uniquely yours and enter to win a raffle basket full of gifts and products from local merchants. Enjoy complimentary food and beverages, too. And if you know anything about Guido's in Chesterland, you already know how amazing their food is. I either eat there once a week or get their spaghetti sauce to go and bring it home. Seriously, once a week. Guido's, corner of Route 322 and 306 in Chesterland. So come by and see me. That's Saturday, March 9th from 11 to 3. Then, 
on friday evening march 22nd friday evening march the 22nd head out to the artisan's corner gallery in newbury ohio and that is route 87 and auburn road route 87 and auburn road in newbury at seven o'clock sharp i will be giving a presentation on how to survive a health care encounter or a hospital stay and at that event, I will have some special essential oils that can help with MRSA, pain, anxiety, sleep issues, and more. So I'd love to see you there. There's going to be complimentary food and beverages there as well. So make an evening of it. Friday, March the 22nd. Be there right at 7. That's when I'm going to start yakking. Artisan's Corner Gallery in Newbury. It'll run from 7 to 8. The gallery's awesome. So many beautiful pieces of local artwork. You'll be quite impressed. March 22nd, Friday evening, 7 to 8, and I look forward to seeing you there. If you have any questions about either one of those events, feel free to give me a call, 440-725-5462. That is 440-725-5462. Not often do I have some public events, so please join me. Well, there you have it. Lots to think about and plenty to share with others. And to do so, simply head over to the website speakupandstayalive.com where you can listen to today's show again and hear previous episodes all under the Radio Archives button. And while you're there, visit the shop page to get a copy of the life-saving book, Speak Up and Stay Alive, Your Hospital Survival Guide. And for more of my books, visit Amazon.com. Type my name in the search bar. That's Pat Rulo, R-U-L-L-O, and you will find some other goodies. Now, if you're in the Cleveland, Ohio area, listen to the show every Saturday morning at 9 o'clock on WHKW AM 1220, as well as on WHKZ AM 1440. And tune in again every Sunday evening at 6 o'clock. Same show, but on WHK AM 1420. We're also on iTunes, iHeartRadio, SpeakUpTalkRadio.com, and about 50 additional online venues. So uh, no excuse to miss a single episode. And if you just need more of me, invite me to speak to your group, club, church, business, or hospital. My presentations are fun, fast-paced, informative, and life-saving. And I can guarantee this. No one falls asleep on my watch. Visit speakupandstayalive.com for more information. Email me at pat at speakupandstayalive.com or call me and leave a message on the radio studio line 440-725-5462. That is 440-725-5462. Well, that is it for today. Until next time, I hope you have a healthy and a happy week. I am Pat Rulo, and I am the voice for informed choice.